Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, January the 8th, 2024. It is currently 1058 a.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio, located right here in Abilene, Texas. And before I say anything else, due to the subject matter that we're going to be talking about, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, if you disagree with anything I'm about to say and you want to email me or post a comment where you're going to disagree or you're going to argue with me or you're going to criticize, please don't start your criticism with, it wasn't a sermon. I don't know how many different ways I can indicate it's not a sermon. It is literally, this broadcast is literally classified as a podcast. Literally, there is an intro. Listen to the intro again. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Also, most podcasts don't, or most sermons don't begin with, good morning, everyone. It is Monday, January the 8th, 2024. It is currently now 11 a.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located here in Abilene, Texas. I don't know how many different ways I can make it obvious to people that it's a podcast. I don't know. It is bizarre when someone, and this, and it's always the same people, right? It's always the same group of people. When I say the same group of people, not the same individuals, but the same, I'll state it this way. It's always the same type of messages that bring in the same kind of response with from the same type of people. And what I mean by that, if I say anything in regards to politics or criticize American Christianity for being politically hijacked, if I criticize American Christianity for being politically corrupted and that Christianity has become a more of a political ideology than a theological perspective. Whenever I go, when I went that the church has prostituted itself for political gain and political power, whenever I go after Christian nationalism or anything along those lines, that we've abandoned the gospel and to, to try to establish a kingdom on this earth. When I, whenever I go to some of those or say some of those things, there's a certain type of individual then who will respond. And it's always the individuals who are very upset. They're obviously for the political politicizing of the church. They're, they're also, they're obviously for Christian nationalism, even though they want to say that they're not Christian nationalists. You listen to them, that's what they are. It, it's, it's, they get very upset. They don't want any criticism of the political hijacking of the American church because they support it and they want me and they get mad if I say anything negative about Donald Trump or, or anything negative about the Republican Party. Oh, they get mad. But then it's, so it's those type of individuals, and then they will start with, it's not even a sermon. And you're like, uh, <laughs> I know, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to now tell you that like 50 different ways. And I don't understand what that proves. Hey, I'm not going to deal with the content of your actual episode. What I'm going to do is just start by saying, it's not even a sermon. It's not even a sermon. Like, dun, 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 you've won the debate. It's so weird. So ladies and gentlemen, this is a podcast. 
This is called the Theology Central Podcast. Now, on this podcast, we do a lot of things. We do everything from Bible study exercises. We do post sermons. We do. We do Bible study, devotionals. We talk about what's happening in the world. The, the variety on this is vast, but you typically will understand the content. If you listen to it, you'll probably have a pretty good idea what it is, you, you probably will have a pretty good idea. So I just have to get that out of the way because this is one of those episodes that's going to generate that very type of response. Because ladies and gentlemen, we need to talk about the evangelical church and those within the evangelical world who are very committed to voting in political elections. The evangelical voter. Now, before we get to the evangelical voter, let's go back in time. Now, I become a Christian in the 1980s. Now, at that time, I'm, I don't even really connect Christianity to politics in any way, shape, or form. I don't even really see the correlation. I'm all, I'm all thinking Christianity is about God sending forth his son to die for sinners, that, you know, he was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. Yes, I'm referencing the Apostles' Creed. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking theology. I'm trying to understand church history. I'm trying to figure out Bible study methods. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just, I'm asking a million theological questions. I don't even really see the correlation. I'm not even worried about who I'm voting. Who even cares about? I'm like, I'm not even thinking about any of that. Now, I was also, you know, a teenager at the time. So obviously I could not vote, but I just really did never drew. I didn't ever see the correlation and, until I think it was a Sunday evening. It may have been a, a Wednesday evening. I show up at First Baptist Church, Tuscola, Texas. And I sit down in the sanctuary, I have my Bible, I have my notebook, I have my pencils, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to take some notes, I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to learn the Bible. And then the pastor stands up behind the pulpit and announced that Ronald Reagan had just launched some airstrikes, I think it was in Beirut, I can't remember where, and I think there were some people killed. And he said this, and people in the congregation stood up. And started applauding. And I'm like, whoa, wait, 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 what just happened? What just happened? We're going to applaud that people died in an airstrike? Like, I don't understand. I don't. And I got very upset and I walked out. I'm like, I, if, if, if Christians now celebrate the death of human beings who then enter into eternity, which, which is either heaven or hell, I'm, I'm finished with this. I, I, I didn't understand. Like, it would be one thing, maybe you think it was necessary, but it wouldn't be something you would celebrate, right? War is sometimes necessary. Now, at that point, I did not understand the just war doctrine as articulated by Augustine. I, I, I didn't understand that yet. Now, over time, I would become much more in line with the just war doctrine. But even if it was justified, why would you celebrate it? And then it would be over time that uh, I would I would hear Christian. It was always Christian men. And there would be something going on in the world. You know what we need to do? We just need to turn that place into a parking lot. And I'm like, how do you turn it into a parking lot? You know, nuke it. I'm like, wait, you want to drop bombs on these countries? And I would be like, that's not, that's not very Christian. Like, you you sound like a like a high school kid trying to talk all tough. Like what is 
just stop it. Like, what is this nonsense? And it was always Christian men who would say these ridiculous things, just utterly foolish things. And it didn't sound Christian. It didn't sound godly. Definitely did not show love for enemy, did not show any mercy, compassion. And it seemed to, it seemed to be like they didn't even care if people died and went to hell. As long as, you know, God bless America, you know, that's all that matters, right? And so I was like, this, something's just wrong about this. And then I would notice that sometimes there would be services throughout the year, depending on the holiday, where it would be, we would sing songs about patriotism and America. And I was like, this is weird. I started raising questions. Why is there an American flag in the sanctuary? It's a church. We're supposed to be lifting up the cross, not lifting up a country. We're, like, I didn't understand. So I started having some issues, not quite understanding. All right. So that was kind of the 80s going into the early 90s. And then I started noticing more and more that Christian men were listening to Rush Limbaugh in large numbers. And they would talk at church. And I would be like, man, a lot of your perspectives, a lot of the things you are parroting are coming directly from the Rush Limbaugh show. And you're sounding more like Rush than you're sounding like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or dare I say, Jesus, you and they were kind of merging their the the Rush Limbaugh ideology with Christianity, and it felt weird. But I still did not quite, I didn't quite get it. I still didn't really understand what was going on. Then there were some preachers starting to warn that the church was, in a sense, denying the sufficiency of Christ and the scriptures, and they were turning to politics, and they were looking to politics instead of the gospel, prayer, fasting, preaching, discipleship to try to fix the problems in the world. And I was like, well, you know, okay, well, I'm definitely, I'm definitely against the politicizing of the church. All right, I'm with you. Then we had Bill Clinton, and then the church was all about Christians were yelling and screaming that morality matters and character matters, and and you should not have a person who's leading this country who does not have the moral character. We need people who are godly. We need people who care about the sanctity of marriage and and would never commit adultery and wouldn't cheat on their wives. and, and And it was all like morality, 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 morality. That's what we need in the White House, right? Then the next thing, Obama's elected. And then these people were screaming morality, morality, morality was then like, then started just in, in some ways, it felt like they went crazy. They were next thing you know, you know, Obama was a Muslim uh, who wasn't who, who wasn't an actual citizen of this country. And the birth certificate was fake and that he was going to institute Sharia law and he was going to take all of our guns. And then and then and then he was going to, you know, ban the Bible. And it was like and then this Christians just started saying sometimes some of the most nonsensical crazy things. And I started seeing a lot of Christians being very influenced by Alex Jones. And I remember those years ago, I was warning about all of this and like Christians are becoming conspiratorial. Not only are they getting political, they're getting nasty. They're getting me. They try to justify praying for the death of Obama by using, you know, certain Psalms. It was just crazy. And it was like, what is happening? And it just seemed to kind of just something was spiraling and like, you were kind of losing it. I'm like, what is happening to evangelical Christianity? And then we all know Donald Trump showed up. And 80, depending on the articles or the statistics you read, over 80% of white evangelicals put President Trump in office. Sometimes now character didn't matter. Morality didn't matter. It was 
he, as long as his policies matter, that's all that matters, right? And it was, it was kind of like a, a whole new way of talking. And so I have, over the years, tried to offer some kind of like trying to figure it out. And I remember after Trump came along and so many white evangelicals supported him, I remember reading so many articles, in many cases from people in the world going, what happened to the church? The things that they would usually condemn in people, the things that they would usually say is not compatible with their faith, they're now saying, well, it's, this is different. And they were, and, and the world was trying to figure it out and they were baffled and they were perplexed and they were confused. Like, what happened to the church? And I, I was like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. So, and I feel that by the time you get to 2016, moving forward, 2017, 2018, as you move forward, all the way now into 2024, that the church has not, I think it's at a large part has been completely politically hijacked and the hijacking or the infection continues to spread and it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. So I tend to look back from all of my experience and try to figure out what went wrong, what happened. And if I look at it, my feelings is, and I don't know if I can be dogmatic about this, but my hypothesis is this. If you, in the, in the 80s, going all the way through the 90s into the 2000s, there were articles and articles and articles written about the church has become completely biblically illiterate. The church has become theologically illiterate. We have a major problem. Seminary professors were talking about how, you know, freshmen would show up in seminary or Bible college. And these are kids who were raised in the church, went to youth group, and they were showing up and they were like, I got to teach Christianity 101 again. These kids don't even know the basics of Christianity. They've actually lost it. And I think what happened is the biblical illiteracy, the complete theological illiteracy, not knowing church history, made the church ripe for being hijacked, right? Because I, I, I used to say all the time when I would teach Bible study methods, biblical illiteracy is the soil in which deception can be planted, Biblical illiteracy makes the church vulnerable to be hijacked by ideologies and concepts that are not biblical because you're biblically illiterate. And remember that during the 90s and some of those times, there was lots of fighting about seeker sensitive and, and the church becoming a circus and they were offering fun, food and games as a doctrine and theology. I remember all of those discussions and, 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 and broadcasts and sermons about we've got a problem. But somewhere along the line, everyone just kind of forgot about that. I wish we could go back to those days. Remember, we we're fighting about the worship wars and what music could be played. And, and I wish we could go back to those days, but somewhere all of that gave away way. And it said, forget that. We are more worried about liberals and Democrats and critical race theory. And, 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 and all of a sudden it became about culture wars. And then we've got to get this person elected and Donald Trump this and Donald Trump that and down with the Democrats. And it's like, what just happened? Well, I think that biblical illiteracy gave way to this political hijacking of the church. And I think you could possibly say now, when we refer to the evangelical voter, I think there's a high probability that when we call them evangelical, it's not your, your granddad's and your grandma's evangelical. 
that the evangelical has evolved. So the evangelical voter is not the evangelical of 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's not your grandfather's. It's not your grandmother's evangelical. A new type of Christian has emerged. So what we're seeing is a the hijacking of the church is a result of a new evangelical that kind of started taking shape. We we may need to write books here soon of the re I don't know what we call this, the reimagining of evangelicalism, the new evangelical. Now, I remember that if you go back into, say, the 1900s, where you had a big fight between modern, you know, modernism, fundamentalism, the rise of evangelicalism, evangelicalism took a much more nicer, much more willing to work with people approach where the fundamentalist says that's compromise and the fundamentalist left the evangelical world, started their own Bible institutes and, 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 and separated independent fundamental churches. Well, we can get into that whole thing. Well, I think there's a new evangelicalism rising. And then you had evangelicalism, new evangelicalism. What do we call this? I don't know. Do we call this post-evangelicalism? Something has happened. And I think, I think what happened, happened first. The political hijacking is not what's changing Christianity. Christianity changed and embraced politics. They, they grew tired of prayer, fasting, loving your enemy, turning the other cheek, dying to self, denying self, and not following self. A, a new Christianity was emerging, right? And maybe before we could clearly classify it, it became politically hijacked. And the political hijacking gets the focus. But I think what we're missing is something was happening within evangelicalism to make the political hijacking possible. Now, those are some of my hypotheses and some of my theories. And the reason I'm mentioning some of these is because of an article that was released today that caught my attention. Now, I've only read, I've only read just the beginning of it because I wanted to stop before they put forth their perspective. So I wanted to articulate my hypotheses and then I'm going to read to where I'm going to read down to where I stopped. And then together we're going to explore what they have to say. This is from the New York times. It was posted on Monday, January the 8th, 2024 at 7, 11 AM. Now it's a, it's a 12 minute read. So it's a long article. I don't know if we'll read all of it, but here is the headline. You should be able to find this online. Trump, is connecting with a different type of evangelical voter. Trump is connecting with evangelical voters, but it's a different evangelical voter, which they immediately got my mind thinking, I've been trying to say this. I've been trying to say the evangelicalism is changing. And I've talked about and outlined this kind of hypothesis that I'm putting forth in the past. I've talked about this. I don't know. I don't even know how many years going back that something was happening with evangelicalism. It was changing. And I've been talking about the political hijacking. I've talked about things like American Family Radio. I mean, that's a Christian radio network that has stations around the country. You listen to them from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You, you may sometimes stop and go, is this Christian radio or is this you know, just AM talk radio with Republicans, because I sometimes I cannot distinguish the two, which is problematic. So they are saying Trump is connecting 
with evangelical voters. But now even the New York Times are saying this is not this is a different type of evangelical, which I was like, okay, great. Maybe I'm not crazy in my hypotheses, but maybe they're going to look at it from a different perspective. Let's see. First, it it begins with a it's a woman. uh, She's sitting maybe at a political rally. It could be a church. It's got uh, just single chairs. I mean, you know, a lot of churches use chairs instead of, you know, uh, pews. So I can't tell where it is. Um, I'm assuming it's a it's a political rally because laying on the floor are red signs that look like, you know, text to basically to support Trump, it looks like. She's wearing a shirt that says Trump, but as an American flag, all the letters are like an American flag. She has a hat on. I can't really see what's on the hat. And she's sitting here. Uh, there's no one around her, all right? And then this is what it, what it says underneath it. Here we go. Okay, it was at a campaign event. I'm looking at the description of the uh, photograph. It's a, it was a campaign event in Iowa, All right. On December the 13th is when the photograph was taken. Here is the first paragraph. Karen Johnson went to her Lutheran church so regularly as a child that she won a perfect attendance award. As an adult, she taught Sunday school. But these days, Johnson, a 67-year-old counter attendant at a slot machine parlor, no longer goes to church. Now, I don't know if that's going to be a clue. We have a lot of people who claim to be evangelicals, claim to be Christians, who may be all into politics, but many of them are no longer going to church. Is that indicative of something? I don't know. Let's see. She still identifies as an evangelical Christian. Now, see, now, I, now, some of the times when we look at polls and we look at studies, they will ask the people they're, you know, they're asking questions of, hey, do you attend church on a regular basis? So we, it's still, the church is still politically hijacked. There's no question about it. But I think there may be a growing number of these very politicized evangelicals who have abandoned the church. But let's let's see what this says. She still identifies as an evangelical Christian, but she doesn't believe going to church is necessary to commune with God. And then I, this is her quote. I have my own little thing with the Lord, she says. I have my own little thing with the Lord. I have my own little thing. Okay, well, when, when it's so individualized, so personalized that you can have your own little thing, then, then what's really guiding and controlling your understanding of evangelical Christianity? What is, what is guiding and directing you? Well, let's just keep reading and see what we find here. Johnson's thing includes frequent prayer, uh, she said, as well as podcast and YouTube channels that discuss politics and what's going on in the world from a right-wing and sometimes Christian worldview. So what she's done, she's abandoned church. She's gone to YouTube and podcasts that discuss things much more from a political view. Immediately, you can see where she's going to be now more influenced. And sometimes, sometimes from a Christian worldview. Now, I have a feeling that if she turns on a Christian web podcast, that then challenges her political understanding. Well, how did I start this podcast? 
she's going to be the kind of person, most likely the kind type of person who would then email me and criticize me because I'm going after their politics. I've said before, I will get the strongest feedback, not from doing a Bible study, not from talking theology. I get the strongest feedback when I dare criticize Trump, Republican Party, Christian nationalism. They rise up. They get mad. How dare you? You're, and, then, and then my Christianity gets called into question, and, then, and it just gets crazy. Personal attacks. It just gets not, and you kind of like, what is happening here? It's like I think I'm bumping into someone's golden calf, but you can see, see that that's someone not that's an evangelical not being shaped by scripture, not being uh, shaped by theology. This is an evangelical that's being shaped by politics. The article goes on to say, no one plays a more central role. In her perspective, than Donald Trump, the man she believes can defeat the Democrats who she is certain are destroying the country and bound for hell. Now, remember, I I went all the way back to the 90s in my timeline here where I started hearing Christian men sound more like Rush Limbaugh than Jesus Christ. And I've said that so many times. You'll listen to sometimes Christians talk and they sound like Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones. And you're like, where, where, where is Jesus in any of this? Where is your Christianity? And they'll try to merge the two together and this really broken cognitive dissonance. I don't know what it is. And you're like, what is happening? But, but they, but they're so influenced by the other. Especially some of the older Christian uh, Christians who send they, they probably spend way too much time watching Fox News. But her, the person who's influencing her most is Donald Trump. Trump, this is what she says, is our David and our Goliath. <laughs> what does that even mean? He's our David and our Goliath. Does does that make any sense to anyone? I don't know. Maybe she wanted. Maybe instead of going to a Trump rally, she should spend attend a Bible study on how the whole David and Goliath story really went down. I don't know. And Johnson said recently, as she waited outside a hotel, and uh, our Trump is our David and our Goliath. Goliath. Johnson said recently, as she waited outside a hotel in Eastern Iowa to hear the former president speak. White. Evangelical Christian voters have lined up behind Republican candidates for decades, driving conservative cultural issues into the heart of the party's politics, making nominees and presidents of Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. But no Republican has had a closer, more counterintuitive relationship with evangelicals than Trump. Now, why is there such a close relationship between evangelicals and Trump? In my mind, the only way that happens is not that Trump changed, not that politics changed. Politics have always been the same. They will take shape to whatever will get them elected. They will, they will, they will look to and, uh, and uh, uh, try to appease and appeal to anything that will get them elected. Politics is all about gaining power. It's all about gaining position. It's all about gaining prominence. It's all about elevating themselves. So they'll look to any constituency and say, oh, oh hey, we're your friend. 
But what is it about Trump and Christians that there's such a closeness to, I mean, 80 something percent put him in office? What is it about Trump? I don't, I don't know. You answer that question. I don't know. I, I'm going to argue because Christianity changed. They, they go on. The twice divorced casino magnet uh, made little pretense of being particularly religious before his presidency. Right? Well, I mean, he was twice divorced, had casinos, all these things that Christians typically would be like, no, but, but listen here. So, and he, and he definitely made no pretense about being, you know, religious before the ardent support he received from evangelical voters in 2016 and 2020 is often described as largely transactional. I'll stop right there. I've been saying this transactional means Christians say, Hey, listen, Trump will give us what we want. We will compromise. We will sell our soul to get what we want. And if that means supporting Trump, we don't care. He could be divorced 15 times. He could sleep with 30 porn stars. He could talk, he could be on video saying, grab a woman, and it doesn't matter. We'll say that it's a conspiracy. We'll say it's all a lie. Trump could say and do, mock, be horrible. It doesn't matter because this is a transaction. We will embrace you no matter what you do. We will justify what you do. You give us what we want. And what we want is power. What we want is to institute Christianity into the culture by any means necessary. And we're tired of doing it by evangelism and prayer and fasting and preaching and discipleship. We need it now and we want it now. So it's transactional. You give us what we want. We'll support you no matter what you do. We don't care how ungodly you are. We don't care how blasphemous you may be. We don't even care if you make a video of yourself basically acting like you're the Messiah. We will still say more Trump. It's a transaction. Now, something would have to happen in the evangelical mind that they would embrace a, a transactional perspective. Something would have to radically change in the evangelical way of thinking that so almost wants to institute a form of Christian nationalism. So let me read this again. The ardent support he received from evangelical voters in 2016 and 2020 is often described as largely transactional. An investment in his appointment of Supreme Court justices who would abolish the federal right to abortion and advance the group's other top priorities. Evangelical supporters often see our uh, evangelical supporters themselves often compare Trump to the ancient Persian King Cyrus uh, uh, the Great, who freed a population of Jews, even though he was not one of them. But religion scholars, drawing on a growing body of data, suggest another explanation. Evangelicals are not exactly who they used to be. Now, that's where I stopped. I was like, ding, 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 ding. 
All right. All right. We have a winner here, right? This is what I've been saying. Evangelicalism has been changing. It's been evolving and it, it evolved to, and, and, and it all started with a, a, basically a biblical illiteracy that started sweeping through the church and, and ever, and, and pastors and everyone was warning about this. And then look, biblical illiteracy becomes the soil in which, well, something bad can be planted. Well, the evangelicals were changing. Now, I don't know what change they're getting ready to articulate. It may not be the same. They may have a completely different perspective. And this is based off what religious scholars are saying. So look, I'm by all means, I'm open to change my perspective here. I may agree, I may disagree, but I'm more than willing to acknowledge that maybe I have been wrong in my hypotheses, but I definitely want to hear what they have to say. So let's listen. Here we go. Religion scholars drawing on a growing body of data suggest another explanation for this thing, other than just saying, oh, he's, he's King Cyrus the Great. No, no, other, other than that, there's something happening. And here's what they say, and they define it as evangelicals are not exactly who they used to be. All right, here we go. Being evangelical once suggested regular church attendance. A focus on salvation and conversion and strongly held views on specific issues such as abortion. Today, it is often used to describe a cultural and political identity, one in which Christians are considered a persecuted minority, traditional institutions are viewed skeptically, and Trump looms large. So evangelicals have changed. Instead of being maybe salvation-focused, spiritually focused, it's become more cultural and more political. That we Christians now see themselves as a persecuted minority and that they don't trust traditional institutions. And Trump is the one that they see is the one who's going to come and save them. Something changed. We were abandoning the spiritual for the material. We were abandoning the spiritual for the fleshly. We were, we were abandoning the heavenly for the earthly. Politics has become the master identity, says Ryan Burge, an associate professor of political science at Eastern Illinois University and a Baptist pastor. Everything else lines up behind pardon, pardon, partisanship. Now, I want you to hear that. Politics has become the master identity. Their identity now, for many, for many evangelicals, is their politic. Is their, and everything lines up between partisanship. Everything now is about being partisan. Everything is now, this is my side, that side. Liberal, uh, conservative, Republican, Democrat. It, it, it's everything. Now, that's become the identity. The identity is not who I am in Christ. And in some ways, Christ is simply used as a justification for the partisanship and for the political ideas. See, we just need a divine justification for our political pursuits. But it's really about the political pursuits. That's our identity. They go on to say, this is most true among white Americans who over the course of Trump's presidency becomes more became more likely to identify as a, a evangelical even as overall rates of church attendance declined now that's interesting so 
more white, uh, so white Americans over the course of Trump's presidency started identifying themselves as evangelical. More and more started identifying themselves as evangelical. But guess what wasn't happening? Church attendance was declining. So why were they now calling themselves evangelical? The trend was particularly pronounced among supporters of Trump. A 2021 Pew Research Center analysis found that white Americans who expressed warm views of of Trump, of him, were more likely to have been identifying as evangelical during his presidency than those which who did not. So it's weird. It's like, hey, people who started loving Trump started identifying as being evangelical, but that did not necessarily correlate to going to church. Now, I will argue they started identifying as evangelical so they would now have a religious or spiritual justification for supporting Trump and for getting whatever policies he wanted in place. That religion becomes the tool to justify whatever Trump will do or whatever policy he wants to put into place. There's no other, look, the best way to win a political debate is to say, God is on my side and we're doing what God tells us to do. The end. You can't, none of your arguments are going to work because we've got God on our side. The Republican caucus in Iowa next week will be a test of how fully Trump continues to own that identity. Among the rivals, Governor Ron DeSantis has invested most heavily in courting uh, Iowa evangelicals using a traditional playbook. He has secured the support of prominent evangelical figures, uh, attested to his hardline bona fide fides on abortion, an issue in which he has criticized Trump for being inconsistent, and in culture war fights in Florida and his home state. In Iowa, these things matter, said Andrew Romeo, a spokesman for the DeSantis campaign. But Trump's track record and recent polling suggests that it is not certain. In early December, Trump had a 25-point lead over DeSantis among evangelical voters, according to a, to a, a poll done there in Iowa. What may matter more than endorsements and policy plans are Trump's embrace of Christianity as a culture identity and his promises to defend it. So what may matter more is not policy plans. It may not even matter about which evangelicals endorse which party. Trump has embraced Christianity as a culture identity and now people, uh, and he's defending it. And that somehow was resonating maybe with some Christian voters or a lot. At a recent rally, Trump cast Christianity broadly as persecuted group facing down a government weaponized against them. Catholics are the current target of the communists, Marxists, and fascists, fascists, he said, citing a recent controversy about a retracted FBI memo and adding that evangelicals will not be far behind. Johnson's Sunday morning routine changed well before Trump arrived on the political scene. In her early 20s, she was married to a man who didn't believe, so she dropped off going to the building. She didn't lose her faith, but life, including children and a few moves, pulled her in other directions. And this, and in this, she was typical. Church membership in the United States has been slipping for decades, along with the shares of Americans who identify as Christian, and particularly as Protestants, the branch that has historically been the gravitational center of American religion. In the middle of the 20th century, 68% of Americans described themselves as Protestant. 
by 2022, 34% did, according to Gallup. A further 11% described themselves as simply Christian, a category Gallup did not include until the late 1990s. At first, declines mostly affected the more liberal mainline Protestant denominations, but in recent years, self-identified evangelical church attendance has dropped as well, and a large share of conservative than liberals report leaving church in 2021 for the first time on record. Less than 50% of Americans were members of a church. It's the largest and fastest religious shift in our nation's history. The transformation has been particularly visible in Iowa, where self-identified evangelicals who make up about a quarter of the state's population are influential bellwethers in Republican politics, but where religious practices has changed most starkly than almost anywhere else in the country. And 2010 to 2020, the state's population of church adherents, people with some level involvement in a congregation, fell almost 13%, a sharper decline than any other state except New Hampshire, according to the U.S. Religious Census, a comprehensive uh, survey of congregations. In interviews, congregants and clergy describe church and churchgoing as, as transformed by an array of, of forces, including aging populations and youth activities. And Lucas County, a sparsely populated uh, county uh, with Iowa's second lowest rate of church attendance, uh, Marcy Prose, the lead pastor of the uh, Cheriton Church of the Nazarene, ministers to a congregation of around 30 people. The church recently moved out of its building into a smaller space that used to be a fitness studio. When the church hosted a luncheon for the congregation's senior citizen members, the only people who weren't invited were one woman, uh, the only people who were, weren't invited were one woman in the church and my husband and I, she said. The early months of coronavirus pandemic, when churches suspended in-person worship under quarantine orders, and in many cases began live streaming services on Facebook and YouTube, produced lasting transformation habits. Some once faithful attendees now join services online, and some cases sampling the streamed offerings of churches far from home. Others simply never go back to the habit of attending at all. And the schedule of blue-collar jobs and youth sports no longer consider Sunday mornings as, you know, something that's untouchable, making regular church attendance more difficult for working people and families. Uh, they, they, name, they, they refer to another person here. And they, but basically all these people that they're referring to are people who are dropping out of church, dropping out of church, dropping out of church, dropping out of church, dropping out of church. So what they're trying to do is draw a correlation. People are dropping out of church. This is a dramatic shift. And these people are dropping out of church. And now their identity is less church-based. It's more political-based. So they're calling themselves evangelicals because that gives them a biblical, theological, scriptural justification for their political ideology. They're using religion to support their politic, but they're not really involved in the religion that they're using to support their politic. But they're going to claim they're evangelical. They're going to talk. They're going to say something about Jesus, something about God. But they're really not theologically focused, biblically focused. Their 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 identity really is politics. But they cling. They reach over to the religious side for justification for their political ideology. No, I'm going to skip way down. 
There was little sign out the at the okay. There was little sign at the outset of the 2016 Republican primary season that evangelicals would take up Trump as enthusiastically as they eventually did. When World Magazine, an influential Christian publication, surveyed about 100 evangelical leaders in December 2015, none of them named Trump as their preferred candidate. But as Trump gained ground in the early primaries, his growing strength among white evangelicals voters became clear. Polls showed that the future nominee was most popular among one group, white evangelicals who seldom or never went to church. So they said what initially started this was evangelicals who never went to church. That's where the now what I will say what ultimately started happening is once the evangelicals who didn't go to church started embracing Trump, then the, the support amongst Christians who did go to church started increasing, and then that became the doorway for the church itself to become politically hijacked. And many pastors did not know what to do. If you spoke against it, if you tried to stop it, you are only asking for trouble. You may have people leave your church or you end up with political upheaval in church. So I think many pastors are like, I'm not going to address it. Well, you don't address it. (laughs) Problems are going to happen. So this is very interesting. Uh, he would also win over white. Now, see, see, that's what happened. It started with the non-church attenders. And very next paragraph, he also w- would win over white regular church gr- goers, a group that leans Republican. But Trump's relationship with evangelicals tracked his relationship with the Republican Party. He capitalized on eroding trust and participation in civic institutions. And then as president, remade the institution into his own image. Trump elevated a cohort of obscure evangelical pastors and media figures who were often outside the theological mainstream, but unwavering in their devotion to him. He increasingly championed Christians uh, as a constituency rather than nodding to their values as previous presidents had. His rallies took on a tent revival atmosphere. People who love their country and believe in God, but haven't been typical churchgoers. He brought those people into the fold, said Jackson uh, Lemire, the founder of Pastors for Trump, a national group of church leaders backing the former president. So it started with the people who really weren't even churchgoers. And then the next thing you know, it was like, here we go. Here we go. And then boom, 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 boom. People just started following, following, following. I think the church was ripe for it. Because the church had already abandoned theology and became biblically illiterate and were and, and the soil had been planted. Or the, the, the soil was made ready for this type of thing to be planted. In 2008, over half of Republicans reported attending church at least once a month, according to data that was compiled. Um, uh, in 2022... Over half reported attending church once a year or less. Trump himself has become a model for embracing evangelicalism as an identity, not a religious practice. So in a sense, they're following Trump. 
Trump may identify, may use evangelicalism as an identity, but he's not practicing the religion. He's not in any way associated with religion in any meaningful way, but he associates, he sees it as an identity. So people are embracing evangelicalism as an identity, but not as a theology, not as a religion to practice, not as something to pursue. He announced he is no longer identified as a Presbyterian, but as a non-denominational Christian, a tradition closely associated with evangelicalism. He is rarely seen in church, but a poll this fall by Harris for the Desert News found that more than half of Republicans see Trump as a person of faith. That's more than any other 2024 presidential candidate and substantially more than President Joe Biden, a lifelong Catholic who actually attends mass frequently. (laughs) So Biden, who goes to church frequently, he's not a man of faith. But Trump, who never goes to church, basically, who never doesn't really even practice Christianity, that's a man of faith. Just showing that the evangelicals way of thinking has so evolved An increasing number of people and many of the most zealous Trump supporters in parts of Iowa fit a religious profile similar to the former president. Iowa is a culturally conservative, non-practicing Christians at this point. That's exactly Trump's base. Culturally conservative, a non-practicing Christian. That is Trump's base. Culturally conservative, Non-practicing Christians will identify as a Christian, will utilize Christian lingo, will utilize Christian imagery, will utilize Christian. And in many cases, you talk to some Trump supporters and you start talking to them about theology, either one, they don't know what they're talking about, or two, if they do know what they're talking about, you're like, the cognitive dissonance here is strong in this one because their theology doesn't match the things that they say and support about Trump. Um, there's just so much here. There's so much here. I'm not going to read the rest. I would challenge you to look it up. They draw a correlation here. Again, this is from the New York Times. Trump is connecting with a different type of evangelical voter. So they're saying that the new evangelical voter is is culturally conservative, politically conservative, identifies as evangelical, utilize religious terminology, but not actually practicing the faith in any meaningful way. Because if they would spend less, if they would stop thinking Fox News, Truth Social, you know, um, Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, stop with all of their feeding their brains 24-7 with this culturally conservative Republican talking point And they would actually pull themselves out of that and embrace and focus on scripture, theology, and doctrine. You, at least in theory, I stress, in theory, you would hope that would correct some of the problem. You would hope. But the reality is, I don't know if it will. Because I, I think the article, the article doesn't articulate it explicitly, but it clearly identifies It's the evangelical support for Trump started by those who did not attend church. And then slowly as that, as he started rising in prominence, then many inside the church started to embrace him. 
Now, I think the, the, the inside the church embraced him because those inside the church, even though they were going to church, there was something happening to them theologically. There was something going on in their way of thinking that made them ready to embrace someone who was so antithetical to their Christian faith, so the opposite of how Christians should think, talk, speak, and act. And yet they were like, that is going to be lead us to the promised land. And I think another thing that happens for those in the church, those in the church, in a sense, were all kind of, they had all left the pew and they were all looking out the window and they looked out there and they're like, the world is changing and the world is getting bad and we don't like the way the world is going. We've got to fight this. And they did not want to fight it in a spiritual way. Prayer, fasting, discipleship, preaching, just living out your Christian life, obeying the government, doing all those things Christians are called to do. They decided we wanted to fight it in a carnal way. And they found their leader. And they want political victory and they want cultural victory more than they want spiritual victory. Now, If church attendance continues to decline, if it continues to move in a downward trajectory, is that going to leave more people who claim evangelicalism, but they're not in any meaningful way hearing the word of God preached? They're not feeding upon the word of God? Is it going to only lead to more of a Their identity is evangelical, but their true identity is political. They may identify as evangelical, but their identity, their worldview is being shaped by politics. So would you say, would church be the answer to it? I don't know. Well, right, look, it's January the 8th, 2024. I told you this is going to be a crazy year. And this just kind of indicates we got, there's something happening within the evangelical. We're in a post evangelical Christianity. That's what I'm going to call it. It's not the evangelicalism of the past. I'm going to say it's not. I'm going to say that this is a new evangelicalism that's crawling out of the water, right? Using an evolutionary image, it's crawling out of the water and it's got legs. And I don't know what it is yet. I don't know how to identify the species, It's something post-evangelical. It's post-new evangelical. It's post-fundamentalist. It's post-modernism. It's post-everything. This is something new that's emerging. Something new is taking shape right in front of us, and we've yet to identify it. And you've got these articles trying to identify it. Well, it's, it's a little of this. It's a little of that. But the one thing it's not is practicing Biblical Christianity. Everyone seems to understand it's not that. It's not historical biblical Christianity. It's something else. It's this, I've referred to it as a mutated monster. I've referred to it as a cancer. It's something else. Which is exactly what is supposed to happen, right? And I'll end with this. I've talked about this so many times that at this point it's a major theme in this podcast 
2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, remember, I believe what's about to be described here, he's describing the church. I do not believe he's describing the world. Paul is writing to Timothy, telling him that something bad is coming to the church. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now, Trump has kind of become a the leader of this new evangelicalism. I think you could say that he loves himself. Covetous boaster, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. I think that's starting to describe the church. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitor, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Clearly, that's not describing the world. The world's always been that way. This is describing the church. The church is now going to be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And then here's the key. Having a form of godliness. The church is going to have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They're only going to be Christian in an outward name. Something else is going to be driving them. Are we seeing that take shape right here in front of us? I'm sorry, I'm dropping my pencils and everything else, but there you have it. Now, we've gone 56 minutes. We did not even finish the article, but I want you to now go read the article. Look it up. Here we go. I'm going to read you the headline one more time. Trump is connecting with a different type of evangelical voter. Now, I want you to develop your own hypotheses of what has happened. Now, some of you, you're Trump supporters. You're like, Trump, 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 Trump. I'm going to, you're, you're, you're ready. You're probably already trying to figure out where you're going to go vote. You're, you're so, you're like, you're more excited about going to vote than you are anything. You're like, I got to vote. I got to, we got to get Trump elected. We got to get Trump elected. And who knows what things you already believe. And that could be, who knows, not even connected with reality. You, you're going to look at this going, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what the problem is. I'm a Christian and I, well, you can say that, but I think at some point you need to really consider, are you really focusing on Christianity? Are you focusing on something else? Have you lost the plot? Have you, have you, have you allowed yourself to be hijacked? Some of you others, I'm like, you may be sitting around because I know I get emails from many of you where you're like, I don't know what happened to my church. I woke up one day and I'm like, what's gone? The, the church has become so political. I don't even know what this is. And many of you have left your church because of the politicizing of it. So what is happening? What is, what is this new evangelical? What do we call it? I'm going to call it post-evangelical. I don't know what it is yet. Because when Trump finally disappears from the stage, whether it's prison, whether he just loses the election and he finally has to go away, hopefully, I think he's going to end up becoming a mar. It's almost like what I see happening is if he doesn't get elected or if he goes to prison, he's going to be viewed as a martyr. And it's only going to intensify the reverence and worship of the man almost. It's almost like a cult in some ways. But they'll replace Trump with someone else. At some point, instead of looking to Washington or or New York or D.C. or wherever you're going to look for your next candidate, wherever, maybe you should just look to him seated at the right hand of the Father and set your affections on him and put your focus on the kingdom of God. Something has happened. I'm yet don't have it figured out, but I've been watching it 
living through it. And at times I'm baffled by it. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Look up the article. Love to get your feedback. Everyone have a wonderful day. Remember, this was a podcast. God bless.